As the Celtics' historic run of dominance continues, the competition is making major moves with designs on derailing the Shamrock train. Scary Terry to Miami, Doc taking the reins in Milwaukee, we discuss. Plus, Rivalry Week is underway and the Heat are licking their chops in South Beach. Fasten your seatbelt, Celtic fans. Lucky's Lounge is next. Let's go. In the span of just 24 hours, the entire balance of power in the Eastern Conference has been completely changed, or has it? Good morning, everybody. Captain Ron Flanders here with my good friend Guillermo Diaz on the other side of the Atlantic as I come to you from London tonight or this morning. Uh, Guillermo, a lot has changed uh, in the NBA. I mean, just this, this news dropped like a ton of bricks. Yeah, a lot going on in the NBA as the trade landline comes up on February 8th. Uh, we knew this was going to happen. We anticipated, you know, teams starting to get hungry and eager to be better. So let the games begin. Well, we didn't know exactly exa- what would happen. I, I right. think Terry, Ter- Terry Rozier, we thought, could go to the Heat or to the Lakers. But but Doc Rivers to the Bucks. we'll talk about that Um if you're wondering why I'm sounding a little bit different, um, we're taping this for Thursday morning. It is Thursday morning here in London. So uh, when you're staying in a hotel, you, you can't be, have the fully the studio fully amped up. But uh, yeah, I've met a lot of Celtic fans out here in Europe, and we'll talk about that a little bit in our next segment. But let's, let's break down this news, Guillermo. We got two major moves. We talked last week about the four teams that thought realistically they could beat the Celtics. And a couple of them already have Indiana, Milwaukee, uh, Indiana and Milwaukee, but also Miami and Philadelphia. Two of those teams this week, obviously, everybody knows Miami now has Terry Rozier, who they get for basically a first round pick, dumping the this shell of Kyle Lowry and his salary and Milwaukee getting Doc Rivers. Terry Rozier is in uniform tonight. He'll be playing for the or last night he played for the the heat against the Grizzlies. Let's start with that. Uh, this one kind of hurts for Celtic fans who really were happy to see Terry Rozier get his opportunity, get his money in Charlotte, but we never thought that he would be potentially standing in our path. Yeah, I always loved Scary Terry. I thought he was a great draft pick and a guard who excelled at rebounding and only got better at scoring over the years. Uh, I think the move definitely helps the Heat. And if you remember, that's the one team that I did fear out of the East. But I still am amped and would love to face them in the first round to take them out. Well, that may happen based on the current standings. I agreed with you. They're the one team that really has the pedigree to beat us and the coaching. Uh, But now with they got what they needed. I mean, before the season, right, they – really had their sights set on Damian Lillard. And if you wake up today on January 25th and you look at this this Eastern Conference, you might be saying Miami dodged a bullet by not getting Lillard because how much better has Lillard been than Rozier this year? Yeah, no, that's a good statement. I just wonder how quick he can fit with that team. And he's not going to be getting the probably the 18 shots per game he was getting in Charlotte. So how does he stay effective and still contribute to the team? 
he is the perfect fit for Miami. And before the game last night, Eric Spolstra addressed the press and said he fits in perfectly with us. He said something very interesting. He said that we, when we, when he was with Boston, he was. We thought he was one of the most dangerous X factors for the Celtics. That if he impacted a game, we were we were in trouble. And so they've had their eyes on him for a while. Kyle Lowry only played about twenty eight minutes for them. Rozier will take those twenty five, and he'll probably take another six or seven from Duncan Robinson or probably Josh Richardson. But here's an interesting statistic that I know you know, Guillermo. The best player in the NBA coming off ball screens and hitting jump shots is Terry Rozier. His true shooting percentage is 63%. And he's not a guy that's going to demand shots. You're right. He may not get the same number of attempts, but he'll fit in nicely. He is just happy to be back on a relevant contender. I think he lives in Miami in the offseason. So um, as Jalen Brown said, as Guillermo Diaz said, they got better. Yeah. I don't think his defense is quite there to what the Heat or the Heat culture um, is is going to expect, but I think they can build off of it. And they play zone a lot of times, and I think he's a savvy player who will be able to fit the mold. I loved him even in Louisville when I was watching him in college, so I think he'll definitely make an impact on the team. Well, we know with us he made a lot of big defensive plays. You know, he he can do that. And sometimes going from a place like Charlotte to a place like Miami is like hitting a nitro boost for a player. And that I think that's going to happen with Rozier. Yeah. And I think he's going to be one of the top guards in the Eastern Conference down the stretch. Is it enough for Miami? That is the question. Um, you know, the, they got what they wanted, which was an offensive boost. Miami, actually one of the lower scoring teams in the NBA this season. Lowry was giving them nothing on that end. so. You know, I think he probably is a wash defensively with Lowry. So Miami vaults up the list of contenders in the East, which is getting stronger by the day. As we talked about, the Knicks got Ananobi. They've been on a tear, I think, nine and two since that trade. Siakam, you know, Indy's going to be tough. Um, so it, interesting. And all they had to give up was a first round pick in 2027, although the salary that Rozier makes, which is pretty significant. I think it's about 25 million. Right. We'll keep, keep Miami well above the cap for next year, which they weren't expected to be with Lowry's salary coming off, but well worth the risk. I think the Heat win this trade and, you know, Charlotte is not done. They're probably going to get rid of Gordon Hayward. I would expect that they'll be taking calls on just about everybody on that roster not named LaMelo Ball. Yeah, and the Miami Heat I don't think are above the second apron, if I'm not mistaken. So they could sign a Gordon Hayward if he were bought out by the Hornets. Um, yeah, I'm not sure about that. I know Milwaukee is. Correct, correct. Uh, th th that's a very good point. I mean, you, you add a Gordon Hayward and, and now maybe they're right there with us. That's the one thing I think, yeah, they improved that point guard, but I still think they lack depth. So if they're going to start to add from the buyout market, that's going to be very interesting. Hmm. Let's go to Milwaukee now. This one completely floored just about everybody, although we <laughs> did see the signs that something was very wrong in Milwaukee. I mean, 
Bucks fans, many of them, the diehards, knew something was wrong. But your average Bucks fan may have said, we just blew out the Celtics by 33. Um, things are starting to, to look up. But they weren't. After they beat us, they barely got past the Pistons. They've had a lot of trouble. Um, and so they fire Adrian Griffin after just 43 games. One of the quickest hooks that a coach has ever been given in the NBA. Uh, but the even more surprising thing is who they hired. Doc Rivers coming in to replace Adrian Griffin. What are your thoughts on that, Guillermo? I'm happy for Doc Rivers. I've you know always been a Doc Rivers fan, especially since he helped us win in 08. But he hasn't had success since then. He went to the Clippers, had some solid teams out there, didn't do much, then went to Philadelphia and had an MVP and Embiid and still didn't do much there. I think there's a reason why he was let go from those two spots. And I just don't know how much he's going to be able to change in such a short amount of time. He doesn't have his staff. Clearly, you know, uh, Lee came from the Bucks here last year. He was under Bud, but also Cassell, who was under him, is also with the Celtics. So I just wonder how that is going to fit for the right now. You know, that's a great point that that not a lot of people are talking about right now. Joe Prunty, Joe Prunty, I think coached the game last night against uh, Cleveland, and he's been there for a long time, and he's a very good assistant, but. As we know from Joe Missoula last year, it helps to have your own guys. Uh, let's just go through this real quick. We talked about this early on the season, and you might remember that I said we've got a serious yellow f- flag when Terry Stotts, um, Damian Lillard's head coach in Portland, who was hired to help with the offense, uh, quit just a couple days before the season because right. he was disrespected, yelled at by Griffin. Then we had an episode in the garden where the Celtics basically blew out the bucks. And during that game, he tried to take Giannis out of the game and Giannis basically refused to go to the bench and inserted himself back in on the next whistle. At the time, many people were like, what's going on here? Maybe it's nothing, but apparently that happened another time against Philadelphia. Hmm. Uh, Giannis essentially, and some of the other players, the veterans, Lopez and Middleton, kind of revolted at times and demanded certain defensive schemes be played. So it's not just that they got a sub-average defender in Damian Lillard. Griffin's schemes were not what Milwaukee's used to playing. And Giannis Antetokounmpo, I think, is the reason why Adrian – it's funny because he wanted Adrian Griffin. He basically interviewed him. Right. And um, he wanted Griffin, but – he soured on him quickly, and I believe that Giannis um, is now a certified coach killer. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely say so. It's just sad that they let Bud go in that way. I know they struggled last postseason when Giannis got hurt and he fell on his back. But, I mean, the Heat who beat them went on to go to the finals. So, Bud was coming off the loss of his brother who passed away in a car accident. He was a coach of the year. He helped them win a championship. They had Charles Lee on their, you know, staff. It was just surprising for them to like clear house and go with someone who's never been a head coach. And now look what happens. You fire him after 
having the have him helping you go 30 and 13, you move on and then you reach out to Doc Rivers who like I said hasn't really done much since, you know, the Celtics uh tenure. Well, you mentioned Budenholzer and his brother's death and all that. That doesn't happen without Giannis either, Guillermo. I mean, he right has to be consulted essentially on every, anything involving the coaches. And so what I'm seeing with Antetokounmpo now is a guy that is just so driven to win that it clouds everything. I mean, you think of a guy like Michael Jordan or LeBron James who to start getting into personnel moves, um, just and in this case, even getting into coaching in Giannis's case. How about just you play and let us handle the rest? Because yeah. he had something to do with the only coach – that has won them a championship in the last 30 years or 40 years uh, getting fired. And then he basically picked Griffin and fired him. And so now Doc comes in. You and I texted on this and I said, this is going to be big for Milwaukee. It's going to make them better. And you're like, how? Because if you look at his history since leaving the Celtics and frankly, maybe even with the Celtics the last couple of years, um, he hasn't been an elite coach. But the one thing that, Milwaukee really lacked, I think, this year was respect for the coach. And Doc yeah. Rivers will come in and command that respect. That's so fair. whether yeah, whether or not you get the X's and O's right, at a very minimum, he won't have a mutiny like like Griffin did. Well, a few things to add on to that is I've I've heard that Doc was brought in a few times or Griffin consulted him a few times about the Bucks. Uh, that's a very, so this is a very interesting thing. Uh, Sham Sharania of Yahoo yeah. Sports reporting that the Bucks brought him in, not Griffin. The oh, Bucks, wow. the Bucks were essentially paying him to help Griffin out. Mm. Well, uh, with friends like that, who needs enemies? I mean, <laughs> if he had the ear of the general manager, and he was, I mean, at some point the GM turned to him and said, "Doc, do you think?" he can figure this out. I mean, Doc Rivers, that's all he knows is coaching. He's, he, I think he's an outstanding broadcaster. I love him on the, on the ABC broadcast, but he wants to coach. And he, he only wants, as we know, he only wants to coach teams that have stars and a chance to win. So this is a ready-made situation for him. And I think, you know, he pulled a, a, you know, a Brutus here and kind of, and kind of sold out Adrian Griffin. Maybe that's harsh language, but the, you know, he could have said, yeah, he may not work out, but don't, don't come looking to me. He didn't say that obviously. I mean, his name was announced almost immediately after the firing or CNN initially reporting the hire. So um, yeah, I mean, that's another context to this that doc rivers may have in a not so subtle way said, I can do this. And, yeah, and I mean, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, and their roster is really good. Yeah, and I've also seen clips of Giannis drawing up plays on the bench. I, I, that's never a good idea. Just like Marcus Smart last year when he sat in Joe's seat, like that's not something I was really fond of. But to see Giannis drawing up plays for them to play on the court, that's again another red flag. But you know. It's interesting because the times that the Bucks veteran players, you know, put things in or demanded that things be put in, 
it actually worked out for the Bucks almost every time. And mm. so when asked about it, Griffin kind of said, well, yeah, I mean, you got to listen to your players. And I think you do have to listen to your players. Red Auerbach used to listen to his players, Casey Jones. Uh, Doc, certainly with the Celtics, would do that at times. But this was not a strong coach. And, and yeah. he certainly did not have control of the team. And he looked very unsure of himself the last five or six games. Here's an interesting note about Doc Rivers, though. In the 77-plus years, and I keep going, here's another history note. (laughs) In the 77-plus years of this association, there have been 13 teams that have blown a 3-1 lead in a best-of-seven series. 13. Three of those teams were coached by Glenn Rivers. (laughs) Okay. Uh, You had it happen a couple times with the Clippers. Right. And I I think it happened with the 76ers. And – he has also blown four three, two leads. And we know about that as Celtics fans, because they blew a three, two lead in the 2010 NBA finals. And I think it happened another time after 2010, I want to say maybe 2012. So, um, you know, he has not had playoff success and, you know, he's looking to become just the second coach to join a team mid season and win the championship. You might remember that the Cavaliers, another you know coach killer, LeBron James, ordered David Blatt out of town back in 2016. And the Cavs had a record similar to what Boston has right now, similar to what Milwaukee has. And uh, but the coach was already there. Tyron Lue was an assistant. Yeah. And he led the Cavs to a championship. This is a little bit different. Do you think that Milwaukee can make it? I know you don't think they can make it to the finals. Do you think they do you think they can make it to the East Finals? Yeah, most definitely. I definitely think they can make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Listen, the writing was on the wall, all right? Like Giannis came out and yelled at everybody about how much he wanted to win. He was all about winning. He committed to Milwaukee. He wanted Lillard, Lillard comes. He wanted the coach gone, the coach is gone. He called out the the ball boy, the 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 towel boy. Like he called out everybody in the organization, so they had to do something to appease him. They did, and and he did sign that contract after all this happened. But here's a dirty little secret about Milwaukee. I mean, we talked about their their defensive passivity and or permissiveness, as they're one of the bottom half of the NBA in that department. But another dirty little secret is that Damian Lillard has not been Dame Dalla. You know, he's, right. he had a big game winner, uh, I think, against – who did he hit that game winner against? Um, the Sacramento, I think, yeah, uh, recently. You know, and he's yeah. shown, shown flashes where he's had some big scoring games, but he's shooting horribly. He's nowhere near his normal self. And so Rivers might be able to unlock that offensive piece. Middleton as well. Yeah, Middleton looks like he, and you've you've said that he may be on the downward end. But mm-hmm. if they can get Lillard back to where he was, they'll be very dangerous and uh, expect some changes on the defensive side as well. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk about the real reason why all these moves are happening. The Celtics aren't showing any signs of letting up. We'll talk about a very solid Texas two-step sweep when we come back. You're listening to Lucky's Lounge Podcast. Stay right there. Yeah. 
Welcome back to Lucky's Lounge, the official home of Celtic fanatics all over the world. Guillermo, I've been in Europe the last few days, Belgium, France, and now the UK. Each stop along the way, I've met a lot of Celtic fans. On X, you see, you know, these factions of fans. In fact, there's a big one that's coming over from France, I think next week, to see some games at the Garden. Um, but it's just hilarious. I mean, you're walking down the street and somebody, uh, I wear a green when I'm not in military uniform, and Somebody will go, oh, Boston Celtics, Ray Allen, Larry Bird. You know, they just it's it's hilarious to be out here. But um, I love it. A lot of Laker fans out here too. But uh, it's 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 kind of fun. By the way, I know some of you are kind of wondering. I sound different tonight. I feel like I'm like at a sleepover, and you know, I don't want to wake up my no. parents. But <laughs> as I film this, as we as we tape this at one in the morning here in London, I do have to keep it down as I have some very high-ranking military officers uh, right across the wall from me. Listen, we're getting that smooth jazz Captain Flanders vibe. We're good. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, hey, real quick, uh, before yeah. we go into this talk about the Celtics, Joe Mazzula was asked by Gary Washburn of the Boston Globe, and, and Washburn wrote a really good story about what we just talked about, the moves with Miami and Milwaukee. You should, definitely should go to theglobe.com and check it out. Yeah. But he asked Missoula about these teams making moves to compete with the Celtics, to which Missoula responded, quote, I don't think they're competing with us. First of all, we haven't won. So I don't know what, why anyone's competing with us. You know what I mean? We haven't won a championship since 2008. We're certainly not the standard. We're chasing people as much as people may say they're chasing us. We don't even look at it in that standpoint. We have to keep that healthy balance of knowing we're a really good team, but there's also other really good teams and how we match up against them and how do we continue to get better as a team. What a what a great response by Missoula. Yeah. I mean, why why wouldn't you say we're trying to catch Milwaukee? I mean, they're the team that won the championship most recently in the East. Yeah. So, I, you know, I think it's a great response and it shows the the continued maturity and the I mean the Celtics are locked in Guillermo as we're about to talk about yeah I love that from coach I think as we've spoken about he's definitely grown from year one to year two and I just love how humble he is and it's on his facts like we haven't won since 08 trust me all my other uh friends who you know, love the Lakers or the Heat. They tell us all the time, you guys are regular season champs, but can't get it done in the playoffs. So I'm um, I'm with Joe. Like, we're chasing the same thing everybody else is chasing. The Nuggets are the champions, and the Warriors won before them. So he's right. Yeah, I saw something on X yesterday that's compared the Celtics to the Kansas City Chiefs. I think we're more like the Buffalo Bills right now, a team that kind of gets close every year but doesn't get there. And uh, uh, The hope... Sixers are the Bills. Well, no, because the Sixers never got anywhere near the finals, right? Neither have the Bills. Well, they went I'm, – I'm talking about the old Bills, Guillermo. Ah, the, the copy, copy. Four Super Bowls in a row. Um, yeah, the Sixers aren't even anywhere in the discussion in terms of that. But the bottom line is, is it looks like, and if you look at the Celtics last three games and I'll include the Denver loss, it looks like this could change. The Celtics are showing a lot of growth. Now the 20 game home streak is over. And I know you want to talk about that, but the theme for this segment is the Celtics just had a really good week in my opinion. 
Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, yeah, I just want to start off with the Nuggets game. Um, it was a great matchup. I was able to attend being the building. It was awesome to watch and see Joker live. He's amazing. Um, wow. And then uh, to see Jamal Murray step up, um, I thought that Joe was somewhat outcoached um, throughout the game. I know he made some switches and put Horford on Joker. Um, that didn't really seem to help. And I just felt like the Nuggets wanted it more. And Jamal Murray spoke to it after the game. You know, they knew that the Celtics were 20-0 at home. And they wanted to be the first team to give them that L at home. And they were coming off of a tough loss to Embiid in the Sixers. So I just felt like both the coaching staff and the team really brought it to the Celtics. And I hope they, they learned something from that. I guarantee you that they did, Guillermo. And, and you bring up a good point. I mean, when teams have a streak or something like that that they're famous for, they're trying to, to grow, they have a huge bullseye on their back. Remember when Isaiah Thomas led the Celtics into Oracle Arena, I believe it was, and the Warriors had an, a much longer home winning streak. It was in the 40s, I believe. And with IT in there, we went in there and snapped that streak by Golden State. I mean, the Celtics were very motivated to win that game. When Brad was coaching, we we usually beat the Warriors at least once a year, sometimes twice. And so I remember how motivated the Celtics were to take down that streak, which kind of shocked the world, as it were. This one wasn't so shocking. I mean, Denver's stars outplayed the Jays. There's no yeah. question about it. Murray was incredible. Jokic was Jokic. And in some ways, the set, the Jays did revert to hero ball. I mean, I Definitely. think the game is won if Jason Tatum, who went one on three on a transition play and flips it up with some English, and that ball rolled on the rim for about a second before it came off. I think if that one goes in, we probably go to overtime and win that game. Fair. It was very closely fought game, but as we've seen all season long, in each of these Celtics 10 losses, or certainly the previous nine, the Celtics have taken those losses and they've learned from them. Sort of yeah. like a fighting an enemy that has artificial intelligence or fighting against a computer. They learn from that. And, and hopefully the next time you play them, you can't have success doing a lot of those things. Mike Malone put some things in that, you know, Joe Missoula certainly took notes on. And uh, all things considered, I thought the Celtics, they had the fight. They just, didn't play as smart as the Nuggets, and the shots weren't falling. There were a lot of good shots that didn't fall. Yeah, they went away from Porzingis, who was having a great first half. That really upset me. And the offensive rebounds usually were a team that does pretty well on offensive rebounds. I think Pritchard does great at it. Hauser has done great at it this year. Uh, White, Brissett, but um, we allowed Michael Porter Jr. to get Eight offense, eight rebounds total, and a lot of them offensive. I think five of them, um, and that was huge for them. Yeah, a couple of those led to threes. Porter was the unsung hero of the game, no doubt about it. But let's get to the the positive, the, yes. the feel good story here, which is the Celtics put their boots on and went down to Texas, and uh, they stomped yeah. on a <laughs> they stomped on a couple pretty good teams. Ime Odoka was waiting for his revenge on Peyton Pritchard in the 
and the Celtics. And, you know, sometimes, I mean, there's sort of like two ways the Celtics win now, right? There's the, the dominance of the Jays. And, and then there's other nights where those guys aren't doing as well. And that was what happened in Houston. And the Celtics, you know, just went, maybe they learned from the Denver game, like you said, and they went to the well early and often with Kristaps Porzingis. Right. And he was dominant, Guillermo. Yeah, I love I love when they somewhat played through Porzingis. Yeah, the Jays are going to get their shots, but I love when they played through Porzingis. White's out there at the three holidays, really doing whatever he wants. He kind of picks his spots, and I love that. Um, but, yeah, Porzingis against Sengun, who's a really good NBA player, uh, played really well. Jalen Brown got his third triple-double. Um, I know they were without a few key guys. I believe Van Vliet was out and Smith, but it was still good to see them get that dub in Houston. We talked about you know, the Celtics are sort of offensively with the five-out death lineup that we have, which is currently 18-4 and four as a starting lineup. Um, they have a pick-your-poison sort of approach. I mean, Drew right. Holiday lately has been scoring a lot as well. Um, and when the Jays aren't going, Porzingis is a tremendous option. And as Joe Mazzulla talked about with Gary Washburn on yesterday, you know, they will attack mismatches. And that is where Porzingis gives them sort of the secret weapon against teams like Miami who want to zone us. Um, here's a, our tweet of the week, which is from NBA University, at NBA underscore university. If it's not in your feed, you need to add them. Um, they're talking about Kristaps Porzingis in this tweet, and they say that Porzingis draws a foul on 34% wow. of his post-ups. So more than one out of three post-ups by KP is resulting in a foul. This is by far the highest of any qualifying player in the NBA. And listen to this. On his post-ups, when he's not getting fouled and going to the line, he's making 69% oh, wow. That's of his crazy. field goals. And so and these, these aren't all like – these aren't hook shots and, and up and under, you know, drop step moves. These are like jump shots, gear. Yeah, I love them. 69%. Wow. Uh, yeah, Terry, Terry Rozier is not going to help that no he's not no he's not uh, i don't think many people can pascal siakam is not going to help that og ananobi is not going to help that um so yes those teams all improved and the knicks defense has been historically good since they've gotten ananobi although it has been against lesser competition but nobody has an answer for Kristaps porzingis and so that is why we continue with the rosaries in both hands and and the bubble wrap and all of that yes, sir. because he's only played in about half the games. And that's fine. You know, we want to preserve him that seven foot bubble wrap, seven foot two bubble wrap that we talked about even, you know, during FIBA when we found out about uh, his foot issue. So protect him. I love how they played it. Right. So Kristaps played versus Houston and Horford did not. And then since it was a back to back, Against Dallas the next night, Horford played and Kristaps did not. And it was a total different game. And let's talk about that game now. Uh, because without Porzingis as an option, the Celtics needed more from the other five guys of the Super Six. And boy, did they get it. The Jays had a dominant game. Uh, and this was a, 
an interesting, there was a few different subplots with this game, right? Number one is that Luka Doncic owns the Celtics histor- yeah. historically. Uh, number two is, obviously, it's us against Kyrie. And then Grant Williams in his oh, first man. game. Yeah, Grant against his first in his first game against his former team. Now, he started out as a starter with the Mavericks, but he has worked his way down to the bench. He didn't play very well. The Celtics kind of contained both Irving and Doncic, but boy, Guillermo, the Jays came out with a vengeance. What a game. What a game. It was great to see uh, the Jays step up and do what we would love for them to do night in and night out. And we know over 82 games, it's just not going to happen, especially if you have full strength with Porzingis, which is fine. It's okay. That's not what we're, you know, the hero ball we don't want to see like we saw against the Nuggets. Um, But for Tatum to have 39 points, 11 rebounds, five assists, Brown to have 34 points, three rebounds, four assists. Uh, Tatum had a monster block on Grant Williams, which is funny to see because he chirped him right after. Yeah, if you you didn't see that, um, the last two games, the Celtics have essentially not conceded the Hail Mary shot right before half. So a couple games ago, Derek White oh, yeah, uh, saw, saw a guy you know, trying to heave one from behind half court and blocked it. I don't remember who it was. Uh, but I think it then, was Sangoon. Yes, it was. And then you had Tatum with Grant Williams got a rebound and tried to shoot one from about 65 feet. And Tatum was right, right beside him. And hit him so hit the ball so hard, Grant flopped and tried to go to the ground. Yeah. And Tatum looked down at him and said something. Do you know what he said to him? No, I he said he couldn't repeat what he said in the presser. So uh I'm sure he chirped him because I'm sure Grant all game was chirping the Celtics. Well, that wasn't too smart. And and given the way he's playing right now, that's really not that smart. But <laughs> I'm a pretty good lip reader, but it looked like he said something like go back to something. I couldn't, I mm. couldn't read it, but there was definitely some, uh, Scalabrini called it big brother to little brother treatment. Yeah. Um, but in this game, Guillermo, the Celtics gave a blueprint to the rest of the Western conference on how to win. Now, granted, most of the Western conference does not have a te- teams that have wings like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, but basically they said, we're going to go at Luka Doncic every single time. We're yeah. going to attack him. Yeah. And we're going to make him work so hard on defense that it's going to affect his offense. And that clearly happened. I mean, Jalen Brown posting Ooh. up Luka Doncic physically punished him. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was getting hit by Jalen's shoulder in the face, in the mouth. Uh, there was one play where Jalen crossed him up and, and Doncic oh, went to the man. floor. <laughs> and... Tatum, you know, did the same thing. They attacked both Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic. And this is sort of what we could do with Milwaukee as well. Because when you have a backcourt like Malik Beasley and and uh, Damian Lillard, the Celtics are big enough with post-up guards like Drew Holiday and Jalen Brown. They can just punish you. And they will, att- they will go five out and attack matchups. And so this is the blueprint. And the Celtics, you know... Both of those guys, as you mentioned, Brown and Tatum, not only were destroying the Mavericks on offense, 
they both played a great game defensively against two of the best offensive skill players in the NBA. And after the game, Jalen Brown said, you, you always hear about guys doing great things offensively. And right. in our next segment, we'll talk about why that night, Tuesday night, was one of the most historic – or was it Monday night? Uh, Monday night. One, Monday night was a historic night for NBA offense. But Jalen said, you always hear about those guys that you can't stop on offense, but you don't always hear about the stars that can do it on both ends of the floor. And the the Jays do that, Guillermo, and that might be one of the reasons why we're the best team in the NBA. Yeah, that's one of the things I love to see was uh, Brown guarded Luka, right? And he gave him that pressure from the top of the logo all the way throughout the game. And not only did he bully ball him in the paint, not only did he take his ankles with the cross up and the jumper, you know, Luca commented saying he was praying on the floor after that. Um, Luca switched to, for him to miss. Right. Yeah. He, he switched his shoes at halftime. He took off his headband um, because JB was just giving him that work. He had the pump fake. Uh, where Luca landed on him and still made it in his face. Um, I just want to see a little bit more of that dog from JT. And I know we're not always going to get that, but I loved when we were playing the Thunder and he picked up SGA at the top of the key. Like, I just want to see that same def- all defense uh, that JB's bringing from JT. In that game, our unsung hero in the game was Peyton Pritchard, who at six foot one, and maybe we're being <laughs> generous there, uh, continues to rebound about six inches above his actual height. Yeah, and you you mentioned this sort of back to back thing where we play Kristaps one night and Al the night the next. We we would be remiss if we did not talk about how well, and I don't want to jinx this, but Al Horford is shooting the ball again in an elite fashion. Remember last year he missed some shots in the playoffs and said, I'm mad at myself because I'm an elite shooter. And some of the media members were like, Horford's an elite three-point shooter. I think he was like second in the NBA last year, something like that in terms of efficiency from, from deep. I mean, the guy is just continuing to splash from deep Guillermo in his old age. He has become a knockdown three-point shooter and he is still defending at an incredibly high clip. He's a specialist almost, defense and threes, and a great yeah. passer. Yeah. I, I think, you know, this guy's like fine wine. He's getting older with he's getting better with age. Yeah, most definitely. I and even some of the threes he's been taking this year are threes that, you know, we we wouldn't expect. He's usually like a spot up shooter, but there's been times where he's running up and shooting. So it's great to see him uh, be adaptable and, and change the game to the Celtics mold. Well, when we come back, the Celtics mold apparently is very popular because four Celtics have been added to the team of possible players for Team USA going to the Olympics in Paris this summer. We'll tell you who they are, and we'll talk about historic offensive outbursts coming up next on Lucky's List. Stay right there. Welcome back to Lucky's Lounge, and uh, as we always do around this time, we we start with Lucky's heroes, and um, I remember Guillermo one time I interviewed 
Bob Feller, the Hall of Fame pitcher for the Cleveland Indians who served in World War II, and I asked him something about being considered a hero, and he said, the heroes are the ones who don't make it home. And uh, sadly, today, Lucky's hero is somebody who did not make it home, and we're talking about Special Operator First Class Chris Chambers and his shipmate Special Operation Operator Second Class, Special Warfare Operator Second Class, Nathan Ingram. These are two Navy SEALs who uh, went missing at sea a couple weeks ago as they were intervening. They were doing a boarding operation on an Iranian Dow in off the coast of Somalia. Now, that mission ultimately did capture a lot of missile components that were going to terrorists, the Houthi terrorists in the Middle East. So um, it would have been considered a successful mission, but Petty Officer Chambers, who is from Westfield, Mass., and was a swimmer and diver at uh, UMass Amherst, um, he saw his shipmate Ingram slip and go into the water during this mission. And Chambers being the Navy SEAL and the, the hero that he is, he jumped in after him in an attempt to save him. Now, normally these guys are wearing body armor and, and have a lot of weaponry and things on their bodies. And uh, unfortunately, that, that weighed them down and, and they were not able to, to be rescued. So Chris Chambers, Nathan Ingram, um, I know that the entire community of Westfield, Mass., and really all of America mourns the loss of these these two Navy SEALs and great Americans. Thoughts and prayers to those families and friends and true heroes. Um, I hope those men rest in paradise. Well, I don't know how we, we start talking about basketball after that, but uh, we're going to try. Uh, let's start with Lucky's List number one, and it's, it's our update from the Maine Celtics. Uh, J.D. Davison, Guillermo, continues to, to just show out. Yeah, so since we last did our update, uh, the Celtics uh, played a back-to-back against the Sioux Falls Sky Force, which is the G League for the Miami Heat. Uh, they lost one game, 116-112, to 112, but they bounced back and beat them 131-125, to 125, where, as you said, uh, J.D. Davison went off uh, 36 points, 7 rebounds, 10 assists, and our guy Drew Peterson, uh, 30 points, 8 rebounds, 3 assists. That's really good for Peterson. Um, the Sky Force are really one of the – they used to be in the CBA. Now they're in the G League. They're a very good franchise, and you know the Heat continue to to produce really good talent that are not drafted. They were 10-1. and one. They were 9-1 and one before that back-to-back. The Celtics almost beat them twice, so that was really big. Speaking of Davison um, and speaking of podcasts, the main Celtics have their own podcast, and they just dropped one with Davison. So if you want to hear about his perspective on being a Boston Celtic and a Maine Celtic, that would be a good one to listen to. Also, the Celtics on their official podcast, The View from the Rafters, just dropped one with Paul Pierce and Antoine Walker. So when you're done with this one and you're waiting for another week for Lucky's Lounge, uh, check both of those out. I think you'll you'll enjoy both of those. Item number two, Guillermo, Team USA gearing up for a trip to Paris. We've already qualified for the Summer Olympics this year in France. 
has announced the names of 41 players who could be trimmed down to that final team of 12. And there's four Celtics on the list. Guillermo, tell us who's on it. Yeah, so on the list we have Jason Tatum, uh, Jalen Brown, Drew Holiday, and Derek White from the Celtics. That's that's really impressive, and I think you know another team that will be in Paris will be Team Canada, and I would expect O'Shea Brissett and Delano Banton, potentially, certainly Brissett, to be on the list of under consideration from, from Canadian basketball. So it's exciting to see, and we'll, we'll keep an eye on that as it goes forward. Item number three, this one, uh, we talked about the great offensive and defensive performances by the Jays on Monday night, but that same night, Joel Embiid had 70 points in a Philadelphia 76ers win. And Carl Anthony Towns had 63 points in a game that the Timberwolves would eventually lose to, of all teams, the Charlotte Hornets. This is a historic night of offense in the NBA, Guillermo. Yeah, big night for both those guys and two big men, right? Like we usually will see that from a guard or a wing, but for two big men, I don't even think Embiid hit any threes to get to his 70. I just think it was better for Embiid to get the 70 because they got a W, whereas the Timberwolves continued to feed Cat and Anthony Edwards talked about it post-game. They kind of got away from their game because they wanted him to have a big historic night. So to have 62 in a loss isn't that great. No, it's not. And after the game, Chris Finch laid into his team. He said it was a disgusting performance, yeah. Im- immature Um Listen, a lot of guys can get huge amounts of points in a game. I remember, and I know you do too, Devin Booker coming into Boston Garden, Mm -hmm. getting 70. And the coach at the time of the Suns, and I'm trying to remember who it is. Maybe you can remember. Was it Monty? No, it was not. Um, It was a young guy who didn't last long there. But he was fouling the Celtics in a game that the Celtics were up a lot just to get him a chance to get to it. And uh, there was a famous meme afterwards where Booker was holding up the sign that Wilt held up with the 100 on it, the piece right. of paper, with the 70. Um, but he but took they, an they, L. But they took the L, right? And yeah. so one other thing about this, um, this is the fourth time in NBA history. This is kind of a shocker. Fourth time in NBA history where two guys have scored 60-plus on the same night. The last time was... April 9th of 1978, when David Thompson got 73, David Thompson with the Nuggets, and George Gervin of the Spurs with 63. The other two times both involved Wilt Chamberlain and his eventual Laker teammates, uh, Wilt Chamberlain with 78 and Elgin Baylor 63 in 1961, and Jerry West with 63 and Wilt Chamberlain 62 in 1962. So it, it has happened, but this current spate of offense, Guillermo is, is really crazy that the numbers we're seeing that not only players, but teams are putting up. Yeah. But it's just like JB said, you know, offense is glorified. I think that was the big news that 70 and 62, but nobody ever talks about the defense. And I did see one hilarious tweet where, uh, you know, they they put you know and B dropped seventy so JB dropped seventy seven which is making fun of him dropping Luka Doncic so that was a great <laughs> tweet to see but 
Uh, yeah, I just want to – I'm all about defense. Um, I wish defense was as glorified as offense, but it's wild, right? I mean, we're seeing teams score astronomical uh, points a game. We saw it live on the Celtics played the Pacers. Um, so it's just – it's an offensive league. Um, but, again, just astonishing for two big guys to be able to do that in this modern era. If the season ended today, Guillermo, Joel Embiid would be the MVP for the second consecutive season. And he's unstoppable right now. I mean, that 70-point performance is not surprising at all. We've talked about the playoffs and how guys uh, go to the free throw line less, perhaps, and that might be a little bit take away from the Philadelphia a little bit. But, um, you know, Doc Rivers might have to face his old team in the playoffs and It'll be interesting to see if they have an answer for Joel Embiid. Item number four on Lucky's list, we talked about the Clippers getting the NBA All-Star game in 2026. Here's an item that we haven't talked about. Uh, the Intuit Dome, yeah. which is where the Clippers will be moving in next year. I was watching a Clipper game recently, and they were advertising a feature at the Dome right. that does not exist anywhere in the NBA, but it does kind of exist at Cameron Indoor Stadium where the Duke Blue Devils play. The Clippers are actually going to create a section behind one of the baskets called The Wall. Have you heard about this? Yes, I did. Ballmer talked about it um, when they announced the 2026 All-Star Game in uh, Inglewood, California. So basically, Clipper fans have to apply to get into this section. And in this section, which is a massive section, anybody shooting a free throw will will not be able to see around the wall. <laughs> People are only allowed to wear Clippers gear. Correct. Uh, anybody wearing an opposing team's jersey will, will be moved out of the section. And uh, they're encouraging their most raucous fans. They're, they're trying to set up a, a serious home court advantage in a, in a college-type environment. What do you think about this? I think it's great. I think it's cool for them. You know, they're the ugly stepsister to the Lakers. You know, a lot of L.A., I guess, fans in general always geared towards the Lakers because they've always won and had great players. Um, But I think this is how you, you know, build towards a bigger fan base for the Clippers, right? They it's kind of scary because, you know, they're in California and you have, you know, the gang ties were red and blue. So it's kind of scary to be wearing those colors out there, but you have great players in Kawhi, PG, you got Harden, you got Westbrook, um, you're getting a new dome. Uh, so this is a start to build your fandom. I mean, they're, yeah. And that's how, you know, if somebody's really, really hard is if they're wearing red and blue and they're still, walking and they're still upright <laughs> in Los Angeles. This, this building has all sorts of, it's not just the wall. There's all sorts of novel concepts that have yeah. me kind of scratching my head. Yeah. I think the wall is pretty cool. Um, it'd be interesting to see, you know, what side of uh, the wall the team is on during the fourth quarter. Um, the, the, and the screen inside the indoor uh, jumbotron is huge. Um, they're going to have five basketball courts in the arena. And there's even going to be a section where if you're 21 and older, you can smoke cigarettes and marijuana. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I'm not. Wow. 
That's, well, that's just specifically for Snoop Dogg, you know? I got No, listen, I got to tell you, they're going to lose a lot of Laker fans. Uh, the, the Lakers are going to lose a lot of fans to the Clippers based on that last fact alone. Um, for the Celtics, though, going in there next year, a couple of things that, that are – that I think we need to consider. And I'm a Southern California native. I've gone to many Clipper games, both at the LA sports arena and Staples center. Yeah. Uh, there are always thousands of clip of Celtic fans in the arena so they can make their wall. Okay. But maybe if it's in the same section, like you said, if it's in on one, the same basket, it's gotta be right under the same basket. Correct. Cel- correct. Celtic fans should buy up all the seats under the opposite basket. <laughs> I love it. I love I it. I mean, as you've heard in these last games in Texas, I mean, oh, you yeah. hear these loud, let's go Celtic chants. I love it. Yeah. And so we can sort of, you know, mediate or mitigate the, uh, the home court advantage. The other thing is with five courts, you know, in the arena, Jalen and, and JT, when they, get taken out of the game they can go work on their free throws uh in, in during the game because sure. that that has been rearing its ugly head item number five on lucky's list uh, it, it's so tiresome these debates about the goat right oh boy yeah kevin durant coming out this week and, and saying hey why am i not in this discussion i i'm going to give you my answer but guillermo uh, it's weird to see a player um you know, Margaret Thatcher once said, if you have to tell someone you're a lady, you're probably not. I think the same applies for the greatest of all time. You usually don't have to make the case for yourself. But Kevin Durant, do you think he's the greatest of all time or, or even in the conversation? No, I do not. I think he's maybe one of the greatest scorers of all time. But in the GOAT debate, I, he is not. No, not for me. How about you? Absolutely not. Uh, you know, I actually got into it on X uh, yesterday while I was on the London Underground, and I saw somebody responding to Draymond Green because Draymond came out and said, uh, "Look, you got to do what Steph did to get into this conversation." Yeah. And and Bleed Green, who is a a great Celtic fan and somebody that that we follow on X, um, you know, I said, "Yeah, he's not in the convo," and he said, "Well, that's your opinion." And I said, yeah, it is my opinion. But my opinion is based on the fact that he he has pulled the beta move so many times. I mean, OKC yeah. was up, I believe. They were one of those three ones, right? They three were up one. The, yeah. They were up three one. Russell Westbrook was at the peak of his powers just about. And Kevin Durant, I mean, it wasn't like he had a bunch of scrubs. They were up three one. And they choked, and he choked in that series. So then he he signs on with the you know if you can't beat him, join him. He signs on with the dominant Warriors franchise, gets a couple rings, and then he goes and destroys some fan bases. You know, in Brooklyn, he 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 goes there and asks out. And you know, I just don't think that that's my definition of greatness. I, I, I'm sorry, and I, I almost put LeBron in that same. You know, discussion. You know, if KD wins the championship this year with Phoenix, I think he gets up there with LeBron. But no, I don't think either of those guys are up there with Jordan, Russell, Bird, Magic Johnson. I mean, Steph Curry is even in that discussion for me. But but those guys aren't based on uh, the move of of hey, I gotta I gotta go team up with other guys and leave my fan base. Yeah, you left out Kobe too, but. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. He's always jumped on somebody else's coattail and look what he did with the Nets, right? He went to the team, he picked up 
you know, other superstars to play with them and did nothing for the Nets. Now he's in Phoenix. He picked up other superstars to play with them. Let's see what they can do. I believe they're on a six-game win streak right now and trying to fix their situation there. But he easy money sniper. He's a great scorer. Seven foot, can do it all. But just to go and jump on Steph Curry's team and win finals MVP twice isn't enough. And let me just real quick close this up by giving an, an opinion that uh... – you're not going to be surprised to hear from me, uh, but Kobe Bryant is not even a top three Laker. Okay, uh, next up on Lucky's list, um, I was going to go into Tristan Thompson getting busted for PEDs and suspended yeah. for 25 games, but we don't have time. So let's go into rivalry rivalry week, Guillermo, mm, yes. and, and the week ahead for the Celtics. So rivalry week kicked off with the Knicks beating the Nets and the Clippers, who own L.A. right now, taking down the Lakers. What's ne- how do the Celtics fit into rivalry week and, and what do we have in the week ahead for the Celtics? Yeah, so as I mentioned last pod, uh, rivalry week for the Celtics will be tonight in Miami taking on the Heat um, who are coming off of a back-to-back. They're playing the Grizzlies uh, yesterday. Um, yep. And then for the week ahead to finish out January, uh, the Celtics will be at home until February 11th, where they go back to Miami. Um, But to finish out January, the Celtics will take on the Clippers Saturday, the Pelicans Monday, and they have a home-and-home back-to-back where they take on the Pacers Tuesday. Wow. So the Celtics, uh, who right now, by the way, have played 44 games, and I think they've played 23 on the road. So tonight will be the 24th. So, I mean – you look at that and the lead that the Celtics have and they have an advantage because they have more home games the rest of the way, kicking off a seven game homestand with that Clippers game. But, but Jason Tatum was right. Guillermo January has been brutal. And the fact that the Celtics keep winning portends very good things ahead. uh, If they can stay healthy, because as Sean Grandy talked about the number of games in February and March goes down uh, sufficiently, uh, significantly. So uh, let's talk about the game quickly against the Heat. How do you th- see that one going? They, they did have to play last night. Yeah, I expect the Celtics to come out and really take it to the Heat. They have two days off from the Mavs games to the Heat. I just hope they didn't party too much in Miami and enjoy the great weather. I think it's great weather out there and really take it to the heat and stamp themselves against the heat. That'll be the second game. They beat uh, the heat this year. The Celtics will have a rest advantage over the heat and the Pelicans, excuse me, and the uh, Clippers, but these are all tough games. We'll, we'll see how they close out January. We'll need Derek white and drew holiday in full effect tonight down there in Miami. Well, thank you for listening to Lucky's Lounge from London. I'm Captain Ron Flanders from Boston. He's Guillermo Diaz. Thank you for listening to Lucky's Lounge. Let's go Celtics. We'll see you next week. Have a great week.